Welcome to Multi-Passionate Artists, featuring conversations with visual and performing artists, along with other creative souls on their journey, process, and entrepreneurship. I am your host, Diane Foy. My purpose is to help multi-passionate artists embrace their values, ambitions, and story so that they can slide into the spotlight with the impact and income to match. Hello and welcome to Multi-Passionate Artists, episode 85. Ah, this year is going by so fast. How are you doing on your goals that you set out for 2022? I'm doing okay. I'm a little behind. There's always so much to do, but uh, I like that I'm just always making progress. And so heading into September, it's a good time to really think about what do you want to achieve by the end of this year that will set you up for the goals you have for next year. Just a little something to think about. Um, If you need help, I'm still accepting applications to be coached by me on the show. If you want help with goal setting, your vision, figure out what you want. If you're multi-passionate and you don't know which of your many passions to focus on or how to, if you feel kind of overwhelmed that you don't seem to be making progress on any of them because you have so many passions, we can talk about that. If you have questions about personal branding or content creation or how to figure out who is your ideal fan, customer, client, whatever you call them. Um, If you're an artist, probably a fan. And we can get into all that on the podcast. So if you're interested, head to dianefoy.com slash volunteer. And stay tuned because I I got some coming up for you where you can listen in on a coaching session on the show. So today, my guest is Mark Zeus. He is the host of the Sweet Spot podcast, and he has a studio called that as well. And he's a creative director, brand consultant, also an abstract painter and former musician. So, you know, we love that here at Multipassionate Artists. He is a multi-potentialite along with us. And we had a wonderful conversation just about finding your sweet spot, finding your niche, finding your why, your purpose. And then we talked a little bit about his art and how he manages it all. And uh, yeah, I think you're going to really enjoy the conversation. So for links and a transcript, you can visit dianefoy.com slash 085. And that's it. Till next time. Enjoy this conversation. Hello, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to talk to you because you're a fellow multi-passionate, multi-potentialite artist. Um, so maybe first just kind of introduce yourself and tell us about your many art forms. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Hello, Diane. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on your show. I'm Mark, Mark Tadeus Zeus, to be complete. And um, yeah, I'm working in different 
creative fields, creative entrepreneurial spirited, I would say. Um, I have a design studio where I help people and brands and artists to help them find and share the sweet spot of their brand. And other than that, I was a musician for quite some time and I'm a painter. So a variety of creative work. Yeah. And had you heard about multipotentiality before? I Well, I heard about multipotentiality, as you said before, yes. Um, I haven't heard about multi-passionate artists. That's okay. something I heard um, first from you. Yeah. And I have some, some thoughts on that because I really thought about this for quite some time when I, when you asked me about the interview and I read your podcast description and I heard all of this and I get the idea, but I think I have to politely disagree when it comes to different, um, passionate, mm -hmm. like the plural of passion. Um, because I think to me, there is, if you're an artist, there's one passion and you can find different creative outlets, different disciplines you work in, but I don't think you necessarily have different passions. I think you have this one big passion as an artist in the sense that if you have a real passion, I think it demands a lot of your time and energy and thoughts and a lot of work. Um, maybe even to quote Charles Bukowski, find what you love and let it kill you. So I really think it, there goes a lot of dedication and time into creating your art and immersing yourself in a creative process. So I don't think you can do it on the side if you found that passion and you really go into, I mean, you can have a creative hobby, but I don't think yeah. you're immersing yourself enough to, to really make it into your art form. So, um, yeah. Yeah. There's so many words to describe it. There's like the multi-potentialite, there's multi-passionate, there's Renaissance soul, and they do kind of, they mean the same thing, but there's a little differences between them. And, but the multi-potentiality is, when we do get interested in something new, we dive in 100% and we'll learn everything we could possibly can about it. And we get obsessive about it. And then sometimes there comes to a time where we get kind of bored of it because it's not challenging anymore. So I think that's where the multi-potentiality comes in. And then multi-passionate, for some reason, I was just always drawn to that word. Um, I think it was Marie For Folio even though I don't really follow her stuff, but I think she's the one that kind of coined it. And I think it's just because you have so many passions and they don't necessarily have to relate. So many passions that, you know, I, I guess I compare it to guitar players. There's like a, if there's a musician and guitar player and some of these musicians, like that's all they've ever wanted to do. From the childhood, they're obsessive with guitar and they don't get distracted by many other interests or other art forms. They're just like music, guitar, my life. They're dedicated. They, they're not multi-potentialites, multi-passionate people. They're specialists. Like guitar is all, is my life. Um, but then there are multi-potentialites where they love guitar, they love music, but then they also love production. And then they also love, maybe they want to be an actor as well. 
then maybe they want to be a painter as well. Maybe they're a graphic designer. Maybe they're, you know, and they want to do everything. That's kind of where I come from. And, And also there's different ways of building a career with that. Some people try to do everything at once and other people maybe, I think for me, I specialized. I was, you know, I kind of, went from one thing to another, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, I was a photographer, I was a makeup artist, I was a publicist, I'm a coach. And, and now I feel like I can bring everything into one career as a coach, which is great. Um, So that's kind of where I'm coming from it. And I just always love that multi-passionate because very passionate about our interests. Absolutely. I totally agree. It's just, I think it's just the terminology. I think there is a, you can call it your why or your calling or your purpose as an artist or however you want to call it. So if, if people ask me, I think you can call it passion or calling. I think to me, it's just um, being a storyteller in a very archetypical tribal sense, you know, sit by the fire, collect, curate, sample, rewrite, and, and think of stories that I believe are worth telling um, because they carry a deeper meaning or carry a narrative that I've seen is necessary at the time and these stories sometimes they are paintings sometimes i write them sometimes i record them and sometimes i help people to find their own story you know yeah and i think that's it it comes down to your why and purpose because like every i may change careers and i may have done a lot of things but the purpose and why behind it all has been the same mm-hmm. do you and share think- your why you probably shared it before on your podcast, but I haven't heard it. Yeah. Well, my why is when I was a kid, I was way too shy to be a performer. Um, but I was always attracted to arts and entertainment. And I love that you can escape to the world that artists create for us. No matter what's going on in your life, we all turn to the arts um, to get through it. And so I was just passionate about music and films and actors and dance and all this stuff, but I was way too shy to do it. And then when it came time to pick a career, I I just knew I wanted to be around performers. Like that's just my passion. And so I literally just picked up a tour book, went to the back and went, Oh, photographer. Okay, I'm gonna be a photographer. It was just my way in. It wasn't necessarily the love of the art. So everything I've done has because I can help artists get out there in the world, help artists figure out their why, figure out their purpose, figure out how they want to make a contribution to the world. And then I can teach them all the marketing stuff. But I think you think like I do is that the important part is your story, really getting to the core of your why and getting comfortable and confident enough to share that and Mm -hmm. different ways you could tell stories. Um, So that's kind of where I come from. And and it's just artists change lives with their talent. So, yeah, yeah, 100 percent. I mean, okay, let's let's why not? Let's let's dig into this because I 100 percent agree. And I even think there's more to it. Or I think it's a very important time right now to share true stories, meaningful stories. And also there's a lot of um, maybe responsibility if you create art, because I think 
Um, to me, finding and sharing stories or art is super important right now and maybe the best thing I can do with my time because I think, I don't know how it is on your end, but I feel like here we have a lack of a collective narrative, you know, lack of meaning that goes along with it and maybe even a lack of belonging that a lot of people feel. And there are, of course, old constructions, traditions, things from the past that could do this. But I think art is an amazing way to create new rituals, new traditions to share with the people and to share with your audience. So I think that stories and art provide these things, maybe a deeper meaning and a kind of a sense of belonging. And I think that's the reason why people some 40,000 years ago started painting on cave walls or why you have myths and stories that are thousands of years old because they carry something and unite people. And I think art sometimes has to be comforting and sometimes confront you with something new and share a different reality, a different view on the world. And I think we're united by the most individual stories we can tell. That's something I learned from from a friend of mine who does stand-up. He always said, um, the more specific you put a story, the more universal it gets because then it becomes relatable and it sparks your imagination and you can hook it to something that is in, in your life, you know, and you can maybe, it's a pain relief for some inadequacy that you felt or some great emotion that you want to share with the world. And it just connects us, you know, and I think that's, if you're, so to speak, a midwife for the arts, that's a perfect and beautiful thing to do. Yeah. Like sometimes people, they don't feel like they belong and sometimes they can express themselves through art or escape to the world that artists create for us. Cause you might see something mm -hmm. in someone else's art that makes you feel less alone of like, Oh, this art speaks to me. This is what I'm feeling right now. And it makes mm -hmm. you feel less alone. So I get that belonging thing. Yeah, and I think it's important to be critical about the stories that are popular and that we tell ourselves and others. So to me personally, it hurts as identifying as a storyteller in whichever medium I choose. Um, it hurts me to see that storytelling became in some industries kind of a marketing buzzword um, yeah. that cuts out the thousands of years of tradition that goes along with it, even the personal meaning that stories have for us as growing up as kids in school, learning, and even now that we're grown up to yeah, relate to the world. And um, I think some of the biggest stories of our time right now um, are kind of oversimplified. They cement the worldview where it's simply good versus bad. It's black and white views. It's, well, let's take superhero movies. I know they're a huge success, but to me, I don't like them. Because yeah. it's always the same, you know, it's always like, um, I don't enjoy them. I think they kind of kill the idea of cinema and, and movies because um, it's no excuse that the audience like them. I think um, people want and need to be entertained, but our jobs as creatives or in this case, filmmakers or storytellers um, is something, yeah, you like, I don't know, it, it feels like mother art needs to feed its children nutritious and diverse dishes, so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, um, yeah, sometimes it has to be spicy or foreign. And 
if you consume that, you will grow and you will develop a flavor and a taste for more different things it will make you more curious and leave you just hungry for more. So don't feed them just the other whopper of the week. Explore things and try to yeah. push them somewhere new. The superhero movies, like I get that. It's like people go because it's an escape and maybe they like only action. I don't, know. I don't get it either. There's, mm -hmm. you know, some super, I like my Batman and my Wonder Woman. That's about mm -hmm. it. Um, but even then, I don't watch them that often because, like, it doesn't get to your heart. Whereas, yeah, I love musicals, I love drama, I love comedy, and yeah, that actually tell you a story <laughs> and 100%. make you feel things. Yeah, 100%. And I mean, if you pick one single superhero movie, that's cool. But if you look at the just the sheer mass of them repeating the same story yeah. and the same myth, and if we go into values and deeper meanings and messages it's good to have a diverse um cultural range and in art input i believe yeah, yeah yeah so what were you like as a child how did what was your first kind of art form mm, i remember i grew up in a i grew up in a, a pretty liberal creative household my dad was a photographer my mom was a stay-at-home mom, but she always had her little creative endeavors by having a uh, furniture design company, going a little bit into fashion, but most of all, great mom. So, but I remember that there was a lot of freedom and encouragement to try out new things, to be playful and creative about anything. And I remember my first form of expression I had this little creative argument with my dad when I think I was just four years old or something because he bought me this watercolor case with, I don't know, 48 colors or something. But at that phase, I was just interested in shapes. So I always went straight for the pitch black <laughs> watercolor and I was just drawing shapes and exploring that and the heavy contrast and all of that. And he sometimes said this, I mean, he was like, hey, let's, how about some red sundown? orange, red, yellow, a rainbow, maybe. And I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, boom, going straight back into the pitch black color and just exploring that. So, yeah, I think the first expression for me was um, painting. Painting, yeah. yeah. And as you grew up, like, at what point did you, when, when you, they make you pick a career, you know, uh, what, was your first kind of idea and how did you get to the point where you're like this is my career i'm going to be an artist or i'm going to be mm -hmm. what was your first thing outside of maybe high school well there was a little spark of an idea when i was just seven because what i call creative entrepreneurship is to me personally this crazy idea that you can think of something turn it into something real maybe music painting, a spoken word thing, whatever. And people are willing to invest either money or their time or their attention. And that was something unimaginable for whatever reason. It's not like I had a lack of attention as a kid or something, but this was just, it blew my mind. And I was seven and I was a huge comic fan at that time. And with all the money I saved, um, I drew a little comic, a seven page masterpiece, you might call it. And I went to the coffee shop and I made like 10 copies of that thing and I stapled it together and I went from door to door in the neighborhood and I offered people my comic. I had no idea if I should charge them. Sometimes I got a candy bar or whatever, but people were interested in it. And I mean, it was 
a seven-year-old comic. And they, but they were just interested. And I had the feeling coming home, I had a little bit of change in my pocket and a Snickers bar. And I was just like, wow, right now, this moment, there are like 10 households reading my brainchild that I put on paper. And this was really a, a spark, a little ding in my tiny universe back then. And maybe the root of what I today call creative entrepreneurship. And I later went on and I wasn't quite sure what to do in high school. Um, I was on a science high school, um, which was kind of tough. Um, but I had the opportunity to graduate in music and I did a lot of theater. So my original plan was to go into music. But pretty soon after high school, I took a year off. And in Germany, you have this um, one year of just social work that you're obliged to do or were obliged to do back in the days. And during that time, we just made music, we recorded, we played live a lot. And I felt like this is amazing, but it's nothing that I want to do as a career. And so I rediscovered kind of my painting and drawing skills and I decided to go into design. And from then on, I actually started working in an agency because again, I love to apply skills or crafts to the real world. I sometimes love to just have a free open end project and everything, but I really like if it gets some traction, if it gets some, if it's just connected to something real, people giving you immediate feedback, um, spreading it out to all the um, posters in the city or whatever. So of course, as many, as many creatives, um, advertising check a lot of my boxes, not the right ones, not everyone, but, um, yeah, I started there and I started working in an agency. I had just a couple of drawings under my arm, went in there and were like, Hey, do you need an illustrator? And they actually gave me a job. So I worked there for one and a half years before I started studying design. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that you wanted to make it public because there's a lot of artists that they're very comfortable hiding in their creative world. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. when it comes to actually putting it out there, there's such a resistance there. Yeah. I don't know where this comes from, but sitting on things, not releasing them drives me crazy. I mean, you need to take your time and you need to make it perfect to present to the world. But really I'm very impatient when it comes to that because I really love the moment when it hits the ground, you know, when you really get people's feedback, their thoughts, um, provoke emotion or any kind of reaction. It's just such a multi-layered way to reach out and connect with other people. That's just beyond yeah. whatever relationship you have with them. So this was from the very beginning, something that really was driving me. Yeah. Yeah. And so what are the many things that you do and how do you manage it all? Because <laughs> you do a lot. <laughs> yeah. I can tell you what I do, how I do. I'm figuring it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, so my, I'm, yeah, I had a little, I had a little journey over the last couple of years. Maybe I do a quick rundown and then I can tell you where I am today. So I started in advertising. Um, made my way there until I became a creative director. So I had the team, I had the creative control of whatever creative work gets out there. But um, I I, that felt limiting and restricted because it wasn't my, my own company. Um, so I became a freelance creative director, moved here to Hamburg at the same time. 
And after my master's degree, I co-founded a company with a fellow student. And we had a company for developing digital products for other companies. So I was the creative part. He was the tech part. Great PR story. We got a lot of attention for that. And then we had an idea for our own startup. So I thought, well, why not try this out? Always stay curious as a creative and not shy away from taking responsibility or entrepreneurial responsibility, so to speak. So we shifted our whole company into a startup, a VC-driven startup. So the whole whole game and i went down that road for one and a half years it was an interesting great ride but um i really wanted to do this and of course it was also hard for my ego because it's great being the ceo being covered in the press having this great story oh so there's this tech guy and this creative guy and they're working on a chatbot that can create new texts and blog articles for you and the ai is creatively trained and learning and all of this but after one and a half years i found myself in the role of a CEO and I wasn't working creatively. The marketing was up and running. The brand was built. Um, the marketing strategy was also up and running. And I was just, you know, I was just managing. I was pitching. It was great attention. But at the end of the day, your day job was not driven by creative work, not by creating new things, but by managing existing things and strategizing and fighting over financing with your investors. And I just felt yeah. like on a, you know, your head says, yes, cool job, founder, CEO, all of that. But somewhere inside, call it in your heart or in your soul or whatever, someone, something was like, you know what, man, I don't think you're put here to do this. This Anyone yeah. can do this, basically. Not found it, but manage it. You can study yeah. economics and manage a young company. So I reconsidered and um, I left the company peacefully. Everything is good. But I made an exit in mid 2019 and i took half a year off to really think what i want to do and this is where the idea for my now sweet spot studio um came to me which is really more place for creative work of course i work a lot with entrepreneurs and brand owners helping them as i said find and share their sweet spot but i also still work with artists and i produce media formats like podcasts i do events and i really want to not put too many labels on it, you know, just, I call it studio because it's a place where things really get done, get created, get put out there in the world. It's not an agency. It's not advertising based. It's not based on strategy, which is also part of it, but it was important to call it studio because I want real things to get out of the door, you know? And so, yeah, this is my part of my day job now that I, as I said, it's a two-parted job. It's finding Sweet spot, we can call it mission, passion, purpose. Um, it's strategy based finding this thing. I offer workshops and I offer coaching, um, remote or in person. And then I help people to really tell that story and put it out there in the world with designs, with media product and content strategies. And yeah, that's, that's where I help others as a service provider or a. Yeah. And your studio, it, it's not like, just limited to one thing either right so your studio could be graphic design it could be website it could be video it could be photography that kind of thing yeah i think that's kind of business talk but i think the time for agencies is limited or at least Mm -hmm. what agencies can offer if they don't reinvent themselves is very limited because 
you know, if you have such an overhead and you have a lot of teams and then you offer what you offer and you can't be really serving individual needs of brands. And I think today yeah. with all the opportunities you have and all the different um, outlets in the media landscape, you can, if you really want to help a brand, you have to be pretty agile and flexible. And I see myself as a creative sparing partner. You know, I, I'm, I always say I'm the muse and the business partner. So if you need some inspiration, if you need some new ideas, you can call me as well as say, okay, we need to up those, let's say, content strategy numbers. And then I work with a collective of other creatives, filmmakers, photographers. There's a lot of stuff I can do myself, graphic design, branding, and web design. But when it comes to really producing, let's say, a great short film or something, I have my network of trusted creative fellows and um, I work together with them. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. And then how do you fit in your painting? How, how much of your life is dedicated to painting and do you have shows and galleries, that kind of thing? Mm -hmm. So, well, painting becomes more and more a bigger part of my life. Um, I, must say I rediscovered it during the COVID years in a sense that I allowed myself to with well more time and also more energy to really try out the things I always had in mind. It's like a lot of us, especially creative people, have some of their brain children and they carry it around for years. You maybe know this. Ah, one day I want to do this and I want to do this. And I sat here during lockdown and I was like, you know what? I think now is the time. I really want to try it out. And I do abstract paintings, mostly large-scale paintings. And for the first time, I really was building canvases myself in the size and the just exactly the way I imagined them, being a little tougher, a little thicker, a little just the way I always imagined it, but never took the time to actually do it. And it was really like, wow, you just popped something open there. It really, mm -hmm. since then, I yeah, I can't stop thinking about it and drawing and painting and working on it. And yeah, I do exhibitions. I do shows. Um, I have a little art collective together with an amazing Hamburg painter. She's called Lotte House. She does sculpturing and painting. And we have this, yeah, we formed this, um, collective called Maison Douce and we do soirees together. You know, like in the olden days, the idea of hosting a salon, you know, like in Paris in the twenties or something, yeah. just bringing people together, debating art, debating ideas, having a, open safe space for truthful and creative exchange. And this is often connected to presenting a new painting or doing a performance or performing a little fire ritual with people that normally don't get in touch with it. They, it's a pretty handpicked selection of guests we invite, but um, they're all open to experience something like this. So this is also part of this artistic journey to really put it out there and not again, I need the traction. I need the, yeah. I need to you, put things out there. You need to put it out there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This really needs That's to happen. Great. Yeah. And right now I'm, I'm painting and working on a new series and, um, I hope to display it in autumn, maybe winter. Yeah. Yeah. I like what you said about we often have a lot of creative ideas and, and things that we want to do, but it might just not be the time. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if you've read. Barbara Shear's book, Refuse to Choose. Mm -hmm. it's, I haven't it, read that yet. She's kind of the pioneer of the multi-potentiality thing. Okay. Um, and she calls us scanners. But she has an amazing idea 
where it's a book that you write into, draw into every day and where, because sometimes we don't necessarily have to take the, what our idea to completion to be satisfied. Mm -hmm. So it's this book where you just, you know, if, if I had a design for a jewelry piece, I could draw it out. I could write all my ideas and, and I might not actually take that to go and make it, or I might 10 years from now, who knows, mm -hmm. but it's this book where you collect all your ideas of things that you may or may not return to. And I, I, I haven't done it yet, but I'm like, I, I really want to start that book and collect all these ideas and just, yeah, that way it gets it out of your brain. And maybe now's not the time to pursue it further, or maybe you don't even want to, mm -hmm. but it gets mm -hmm. that idea out on, on this book. Um, so that's, and one day I'll bring it back out. You know, it's like, I have a lot of ideas and creative stuff that, it's not my focus right now, mm. but one day. <laughs> exactly. And I think you have to give yourself permission to postpone things or to delay things or to be playful and try things out. Because what I experienced, especially having worked in this startup economy, which is absolutely driven by either plans to exit your company, to sell it. It's always very focused and you say no to 99.9% .9 of the things because you define things in a business plan. And on the other hand, there is this huge self-optimization idea revolving in this whole business field in terms of sleep optimization, food, eating habits, sports, everything, every potential thing. And um, I tried some of it. And I really, if you do it long enough, it's like, guys, what's the point? I mean, I'm not, I'm not a robot. It's not about being the perfect working machine or anything else by giving yourself permission to be playful and try things out and just be in the moment and make new experiences. I think this is at least to me and to other creative people, I know more valuable than being the perfectly tuned robot for your, for your business. And, um, yeah, this is one of the many suggests that I'm working on with my with my art you know to um try and, and break this idea of oh you have to be perfect and you have to be so controlled so a lot of my work as a painter revolves around um yeah escapism loss of control a little bit of chaos acceleration intoxication just in a sense not of substance abuse, but in the sense of giving yourself permission to try things out, um, lose the sense of control and explore your maybe more primal, raw or pure form of being, you know, and if I can, as in many art forms, there are things that um, you can't transport with words or in writing. And I think my paintings are always connected to music. Um, thinking like, maybe writing a song, composing it in a similar way, always, of course, listening to music while I paint. And I think there's a, there's a kind of connective tissue in how it resonates within yourself. If you can really immerse yourself in, that's why I paint in such big scales that you have the feeling that you can really fall into it. Like being on a live concert, it's just all around you. You can just immerse yeah. yourself completely. And that's, um, yeah, that's one of the thoughts that really drive me when I paint. That's cool. And so, 
a lot of us that do a million things. Um, how do you manage it? Like, are you a, do you have seasons of the year where you dedicate yourself fully to art and then another time it's more branding and, or are you, do you split your weeks? Up? Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you do it all? <laughs> well, little disclaimer, I know there are very many ways to handle it, but um, the way I work is really simultaneously in a sense that when I, when I find the energy to create something, let's say I start for a client in a content strategy thing, I do the research, I write things down, and immediately on the site, you get new ideas, you get input for a very different creative task. And when I started allowing myself to really work simultaneously, have like two notebooks in front of you or three, and really writing it down as it happens, that you can't combine this with a nine to five working day. But if it's yeah. if you're passionate about it and love it, then it's fine. And if it's 11am and you have an idea for a painting, then you can take two hours and make a sketch for it, or mix yeah. the perfect shade of purple or whatever, and then you get back to it for a client. And I know a lot of people need a more structured way. But I'm lucky enough to have enough energy to do it simultaneously and mix things up. And if I feel if I feel drawn to painting in the morning, then I can still do, let's say a branding or a workshop, or I can teach a lesson on the on the university I teach. Yeah. And yeah, to me, it was really more easy to combine things and not keep them separate. Because whenever I try to do well, whenever I try to keep things separate, putting up these boundaries and forcing yourself into a time schedule takes away a lot of my energy. I really tried this when I ran the business. And of course, I had to schedule myself um, to be there for the whole team and for people that want something from you. And now that I lifted all these barriers, it's way more easy. It's free flowing. But to me, it's, yeah, it's easier to navigate from, from a feeling instead of yeah writing everything down yeah yeah that's how i work too i yeah. can't be okay from 10 to 12 you're going to be doing this mm -hmm. what if i don't feel like doing that that time <laughs> it's like yeah i i like the freedom to kind of go with what i feel like doing that day yeah and, that's and maybe i, I need to i need to clear this up i'm a huge fan of everyone who's involved in an entrepreneurial endeavor I really appreciate all founders, the whole startup economy. It's just not for me because right. if you start, let's say you start time boxing, that's a thing that happens. Some people have 15 minutes, uh, 15 minute time slots for their day. Yeah. Um, and we tried this in a team. And if you work with programmers from Brazil to Hungary to wherever you need to do it, but, yeah. um, at the same time, I really felt because I was involved and I was dedicated and I really tried it out, but I felt like it, I, you, you can't move your creative muscle and you really yeah. feel it um, deteriorating. You know, it was like when I got yeah. back to being a freelance creative director, I had to really do creative workouts to get back on track and to retrain your creative muscle of being spontaneous, trusting your gut feeling, um, improvising, just going with the flow. And so I think we have all of this in us. It's just a question on where you put your time and energy and focus on. And 
what part of yourself you trust the most. And this is what you should go with, I think. Yeah. Wonderful. So what is your why? Why do you do what you do? My why is I, well, parts of it are already told. My why in short, and the shortest version is that I believe that stories that we tell have the power to really make a huge impact and even change the world. Because if you look at society, politics, culture, it's driven by the stories we tell ourselves. And if you can, I think you can really make an impact by helping people find an optimistic, powerful, positive narrative, and they can really have an impact in real life. It's not about fiction. It's not about um, artsy niche things. It's really important, um, the stories that you tell ourselves in order to convey values, form traditions, keep them alive or form new ones. And yeah, even to allow yourself to explore more and at the end of the day, be happy. That's your whole life is basically a story you tell yourself. So if you find a good narrative that serves everyone, yeah, yeah that's what I want to work at and with. <laughs> cool. And where can people find you online? Uh, people can find the easiest way to get a view over all the things I do is on markzeus.com. Um, we probably put it in the show notes yes. and there you find links to various podcasts, my design studio, and also to my artworks. Cool. Well, thank you so much. It's been so wonderful chatting with you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Multi-Passionate Artists. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your fellow artists, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To connect with me, I'm Diane Foy Arts on Instagram and in the Multi-Passionate Artists groups on Facebook and Clubhouse. Thanks again.